This is K-Pop Sunday, brought to you by your K-Pop Sundays before you have to go back to work on Monday. We are your hosts, Oldar, Min, and JR. Welcome to episode 52, also known as episode 8 of season 3. Today we're going to be talking about some strange places K-pop idols and music has shown up in recent years. It has not been surprising to see them mingling with Western artists or doing cameos in dramas, but there are still a few times where they just unexpectedly pop up. So we'll be talking about a few of our favorites. So JR, why don't you begin the show. So my first pick is Monsta X's cameo in season four, episode 44 of the Cartoon Network show, We Bear Bears. Let me give you a quick description of the show, and then I'll explain how this crossover came to be. Created by Daniel Chong, an Asian-American writer, animator, and director, We Bear Bears follows three bears, a panda, a brown bear, and a polar bear, as they try their hardest to participate in human society. The whole cartoon shows their hijinks and a variety of visual gags, including the bear stack, which is how the three bears travel, stacked on top of each other. (laughs) It's so cute. (laughs) By the time 2018 came around, the show already had an outpouring of love from children and adult fans alike. The show spread good messages, was funny, and it also integrated Asian culture into its episodes. On May 10th, 2018, a fan on Twitter directed a tweet at Chong saying something along the lines of Shonu and Monsta X should be on the cartoon because Shonu is a big fan of the bears. To which Daniel Chong replied, I'll see what I can do. So the stage is set. A year later, in May of 2019, articles from both K-pop and non-K-pop sites started to be released stating that the group's appearance in the cartoon was slated to happen on May 27th. I am said about the collab, quote, We are absolutely thrilled and honored to be in an episode of We Bear Bears. It's one of the most beloved animated series in the world. We put a lot of effort into this collaboration and hope our fans, as well as We Bear Bears fans, can truly enjoy it. So the episode itself is about Panda's birthday and his desire to meet the members of Monsta X. His brothers, Grizz and Ice Bear, help make that wish come true by trying to get into the group's hotel room through various different avenues. <laughs> There's a short clip of the animated boy group dancing to their song Hero, talking amongst themselves in Korean, and so much more. Overall, it's just a really cute episode, and it had a lot of amusing moments. Fans all across the board seemed to enjoy the episode as well, so whether you were a Monster X fan or not, like, it didn't feel out of place. They didn't try to shoehorn the boys into the show. Daniel Chong then spoke with Soompi, praising the members, showing love for the mom baby fandom, and expressed his hopes that everyone enjoys the episode. A few months later, on July 27th, the show would finally be released on Korean television, with the original English and Korean subtitles accompanying it, as well as an episode with just a Korean dub. Then, on August 6th, Cartoon Network released exclusive footage of the members in the recording studio, followed by an interview where they discussed why they liked the show, which bear most closely resembles them, (laughs) among other cute things. I will have that linked in the script if you care to watch it. I'm also going to link an interview Daniel Chong did with the website Den of Geek that also talks about the collab. So personally, I am a really big fan of Wee Bear Bears. I think it's an adorable show. So seeing this crossover was 
a perfect melding of two worlds, in my opinion. It's really well written. The group seemed to have fun. And that's all you want from a collaboration like this, you know? Like, you just hope that all parties involved enjoyed themselves and that the fans subsequently enjoy themselves when they watch the content. Any comments, questions, concerns at this time? I've never watched We the Bears, so I can't comment. <laughs> That's fair. Did you see any of the hype when it was going on? No. <laughs> okay, that is also fair. <laughs> I just completely missed it. You got nothing. Okay, that is fine. Because, of course, that's a cable, maybe streaming thing, so I haven't watched it, obviously. Okay, Min, what's the next thing on the roster? In the good old mid-2010s, or 2014 to be specific, Lady Gaga set out on her fourth headlining tour, Art Rave, the Art Pop Ball, and this tour stretched over North America, Asia, Oceania, the Middle East, and Europe, with her opening act mainly consisting of Lady Starlight, with a couple of guest acts like Momorio Clover Said, Baby Metal, and even Hatsure Miku. But for 11 of her North American shows, the opening act alongside Lady Starlight was Crayon Pop. They opened up for Lady Gaga from the Milwaukee stop all the way to Los Angeles. And this happened not too long after Bar 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 went viral and the girls were very shocked to be invited to perform on the tour. But at the time, looking back at the replies to Lady Gaga's tweet announcing that Crayon Pop would open for her, fans' opinions were mixed at best. A lot of people were upset or asking for different K-pop bacts, but you know. And the majority of people didn't even know who they were, so you know. It's just mean. <laughs> It's yeah. just true. I've seen that a lot, though, when, like, there was one K-pop idol somewhere, everyone's like, oh, you should have done so-and-so instead. They just want their faves to be in there. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, but people have different opportunities, dude. <laughs> like, chill. Yeah. Because it's so rude. It's like, people reach out, and then their side also has to come back and agree to it, too. Not just be like, mm -hmm. oh, no, they're busy with something else. So there's a lot that goes into it. Because maybe yeah. your faves said no. Ooh. They don't want to hear that, though. No, they don't want to hear that their faves were like, um, no. On the tour, Crayon Pop's set lasted about 30 minutes, and they played six different songs, including one remix of their songs. And you can actually still find a handful of fan cams from these performances, which I've also linked in the document. Through watching them, even if they were relatively unknown for the majority of the audience, Fans of the group still showed up, and all of the girls even spoke English to the audience, and in some of the fan cams you can hear a tiny group of Crayon Pop fans shouting their fan chants and having a Aww, great time. Cute. All in all, it was a relative success for the group, but in later years we've come to find out that Chrome Entertainment, Crayon Pop's label, just did not pay Crayon Pop for this tour at all. They thought they would be paid, but Chrome just didn't. Kiss Chrome. <laughs> that is so messed up. Yes. A couple of side notes. Crayon Pop actually gifted Lady Gaga her own Crayon Pop uniform with her name on it so and a number. Because this is when they did their tracksuit theme. And with the helmet, she also got a helmet. I wonder if she still has that in a closet somewhere, or if it just got thrown out. Who knows? 
And also, funnily enough, this is not the first time Lady Gaga has had a K-pop idol open for her, supposedly on her 2009 tour, The Fame Ball. On her performance in Seoul, Lee Young-hyun supposedly opened for her, but I struggled finding info on it. But since it happened at the show in Korea, it's not that unexpected that a Korean artist would open. And not super uncommon. Just upset the scene that that might have happened. And it also turns out that Lady Gaga herself has been a K-pop fan for a surprisingly long time. Even being spotted back in 2014 at the K-pop Night Out event at South by Southwest to see Hyanna. So, <laughs> she has Dan, I guess. Many mixed emotions about this story, but you know, it is what it is. I feel like it's very on brand for Lady Gaga to like K-pop. Yeah. <laughs> Especially before it was popular to like K-pop. Definitely. Because nowadays people are like, oh my goodness, I love so-and-so. And it's like, I'm not saying you're lying, but also interesting. <laughs> yeah. Like the horde of celebrities that was like, yeah, I totally love BTS. I, I yeah. know them. I was like, yeah, sure. Fake fans. I don't think that she just went, you know what, just cram pop, we will look at no other K-pop acts. Like, it's possible that they reached out to others before them, or they were her first choice. And she's like, yes, I got them. I love Bar Bar Bar. Mm -hmm. Did she, she never did a dance cover with them, did she? That I do not know. Because that would have been fun. They did appear on stage together a couple of times, but I do not know. I, I'm just thinking, like, if they got her, if she got her own cram pop uniform, that would have been really cute. <laughs> but I know that, like, dancing together with people is a thing that's more recent, but it would have been fun. I'm just saying. Yeah. So, Oldar, what's your pick? My pick is something that I enjoy because everybody involved was confused and surprised that it actually happened. It all started at a press conference that was to announce Super Junior's comeback on November 6, 2017. It was there that a promise was made to fans that if 200,000 copies of the group's 8th album, Play, were sold, the group would sell suits on a home shopping broadcast. Well, if you're even slightly familiar with the spending habits of ELFs, then you won't be surprised to hear that the new album ended up selling more than 200,000 copies. So, on November 20th, 2017, six members of the group, Lituk, Hichol, Yesong, Shindong, Unyok, and Tongye, appeared on CJO shopping for a live broadcast to sell padded coats. They ended up selling coats instead of suits because it was more gender-inclusive and more useful since winter was around the corner. The padded coats came in multiple colors and were sold with a copy of Super Junior's eighth album mm. that together cost 129,000 won, which would be about like what, 130 bucks? 120. Yeah, so it's considering like it's a big coat and an album together, that is actually a good yeah, deal. Yeah, that's not a bad price, yeah. Even if, like, you don't like the CD, it's like, okay, but you're getting both. Like, you win. I don't, obviously, I don't know how much shipping would be factored into it, but that, mm -hmm. just that by itself, though, that's pretty affordable. And 400 of those albums would be autographed, and 30 of the purchases would come with a photo card in the coat's pocket. During the broadcast, the members promoted their new album, modeled the coats, and chatted with fans. The coats ended up selling out quickly, so as was promised on the show, the members had a lip-sync performance of One More Time while still wearing the coats. I don't watch home shopping shows, but I feel like this was a good balance between promoting the group 
and the product. The hosts were great as they played off of the group's antics better than a lot of MCs tend to. You know, people who are typically around <laughs> idols, these guys did way better job. Like they rolled with it and that's fun. It was actually pretty good. And it seemed like everyone involved was having a good time as well. As this was the first time an idol group appeared on a home shopping program, it set a really good precedent. This is probably why they later returned. And I think it was a fun time. Now, this was during Black Suit era? Yeah. Okay. I can't believe I didn't know about it at the time. Because I, I really enjoyed Black Suit. I think it's a really great I track. love that one. And I followed yeah. that promotion. But for some reason, this just went right under my radar. <laughs> Same. And also, I just looked up the conversion rate, mm. and it's actually 90 US dollars. So, at, at, right now, in 2017, it probably was different, but yeah. I did not realize how much the yuan had depreciated in value. That's crazy. <laughs> so, so the, yeah. it just the makes it even more for this. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're perfect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But then again, it's Super Junior. I, the thing that I've liked about being a fan of them which I don't think we ever gone into that I am a big fan of Super Junior. You said it in the first episode. <laughs> I did. I don't remember. Do I sound like I remember? Because I feel like I talk about HOT more than anything else. So I'm like, do I tell people I listen to anything else? Because I really do, I swear. <laughs> but what I like about Super Junior is that since the beginning, even like pre-debut days, they were always up to something. They always had these wild antics. And even today, like if you go to the Super Show concerts, they're known for being very entertaining. They're mm -hmm. definitely different than most concerts, the way that they entertain. Like Super Junior was yeah. just formed to be excellent entertainers. But just seeing this, it's like, yeah, this sounds like a stunt they would pull. Yep. Just so Super Junior of them. So I really enjoyed it. And also, I saw the news, but I hadn't actually watched it. When I was watching it, I was actually having a good time and like really paying attention to it. <laughs> it was like a reality show. It wasn't though because it was so chill. And it's like, oh, come over here. And oh, Heechul is chatting with fans. And oh, this person is doing this. And it was just, they were doing their usually know all over the place, but they were on topic. And mm -hmm. it was just handled really well versus like I've seen them on a lot of like idol interview shows. There are certain MCs, I feel like, who have no idea how to conduct an interview. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, eh, I'm just here because idols, uh, young. And they make them really boring. Whereas these people were clearly great at their field and they were great in interacting. I was kind of expecting them to be kind of put off by Super Junior's antics because a lot of people sometimes are like, what do we do when Super Junior come yeah. around and they're determined to do something? But these guys were like, okay, we're doing that. Come on over, guys. The hosts did a great job of handling them. Especially because I'm pretty sure that balancing the line between their core audience, which are probably skewing older, I assume, and not into mm. K-pop, and also Super Junior's fans, they walked a good line where they explained who the group is, and it's like, here's why they're here, and like, it was done so well. Everyone was professional, it sounds like. It was very, it, it sounded, yeah, it was very professional, but also felt like they understood them. It wasn't just one of those segments where they just throw in K-pop. And it clearly, like, falls flat. Like, you clearly don't know what you're talking about. You didn't handle it right. But this was not mm -hmm. one of those situations. Do you want to take that as a segue? <laughs> yes, it was for mine. <laughs> because my next pick is, again, a TV show. But this is a much older... And when I say older, like, 10 years is not that old. But in the world of no. media, it's ancient. So it is a much older, much more... I'll say interesting take 
on integrating K-pop into Western media? You will soon understand why. On November 29th, 2012, Glee released its eighth episode of season four entitled Thanksgiving. Now, unlike We Bear Bears, I'm not going to go into Glee's plot as it's a much more popular show and it's been around for a lot longer. And also, Mike's Mike on YouTube just finished a two-part series on the show. So if you really want to know what it's about but don't want to watch, what, seven seasons of it, I highly recommend you watch his videos. I've linked them. They are so funny. So well done. I'm done plugging YouTubers I like. Is that the one that is like the ones that are like three hours? Yeah. I love them. I have seen them. I do not care for Glee, but I love those. (laughs) They're great. He also did the- did you see the Pretty Little Liars ones? Yes. I also don't care for Pretty Little Liars, but I love his recaps of them. It's great. 10 out of 10. (laughs) Good content. Yes. Pretty Little Liars was good to begin with, and then it so rapidly went downhill. Like, I didn't- I never finished the show. This is off topic. I'm sorry. But Mike's Mike is just so funny. Anyway, this episode I'm talking about in particular is part of a bunch of much longer plot arcs, so I'm not even going to touch on plot. I will just discuss the songs, which are what I am calling a cameo and a feature. So two songs made an appearance in this episode, the first one being Big Bang's Fantastic Baby. One of the characters, Mike, tells the members of the New Directions, which is the Glee Club, that K-pop is taking over the world and that they could learn a thing or two from their dance moves. And all the while he's saying this, the song is playing in the background. (laughs) Some of the moves that Mike is doing do match the song's choreography, but it's not a shot-for-shot remake by any means. And in general, the scene is just so ridiculous because Mike starts dancing in a completely new style, not giving the guys any heads up, and he expects them to follow. And in the background, Finn is like monitoring them and telling them to pick up the slack. And I'm sitting there watching this again, like 10 years later, and I'm just like, this makes absolutely no sense. Like, this is not how dance classes work. (laughs) It's also very out of character. Yeah. Especially since so many of the characters did not know how to dance. Right. And Mike also was, of course, I haven't seen it in years, but I remember he was one of the more mm-hmm. gentler kind of people that like he rarely yeah. got tough on the show, I feel like. So for mm-hmm. him to do that, it's just like, really? Right. <laughs> but then again, to be fair, though, the writing by that season had gotten so out of control, which it always had right. been to an extent, but it, it deteriorated yes. <laughs> more and more and more. And season four was just... It was a mess. If you were trying to hang on to it because season two at times was pretty good, at times season three was good, and at times season one, which was what got you into it, was good. This was just like we're taking all that goodwill and we're throwing it down the drain. Yeah. And that is partially because the original cast had graduated from high school and they had to find reasons to keep them coming back to McKinley. So it just was a lot of shoehorning and mess. It was was very... Poorly done, in my opinion. But yes, that was the quote-unquote cameo I was talking about. Now on to the featured song. <laughs> Later in the episode, the New Directions, again the Glee Club, are at sectionals, which is a competition qualifier for nationals. And there they perform size Gangnam style. <laughs> I still can't believe it. Why, you may ask? Now, if you don't remember, 2012 is the year that Psy took over the world. And you can look back at our second episode for more on that. But in this clip, Tina Cohen-Chang, 
a Chinese character, played by Jessica Ushkowitz, a Korean-American actress, gets her first and last solo in a competition. And what's it for? A Korean song. (laughs) So Tina is one of the most terribly handled characters on the show in general. So I'm just, I'm not surprised by it. Is it very weird that the only solo they gave her was this? She had a few, and I like mean a few other solos throughout the show, but I'm talking in a competition setting specifically. Yes, it's very weird. Very pointed, it feels. You know what I mean? Not only that, she ends up being upstaged by another character that passes out while performing, which just poor handling all around, in my opinion. That being said, Jenna Ushkowitz definitely did the best she could with what she was given, but the scene in and of itself is super cringy then and now, you know? And she says herself, she's not a Korean speaker, despite being Korean. So some of the lines are definitely ambiguous in terms of pronunciation. And that's not just coming from me, because you could say the same about my pronunciation of Korean words. I saw a bunch of Koreans commenting on that specifically while doing research for this. And it it was kind of funny, I'm not gonna lie. But anyway, moving along from that. A couple years back, Jenna was on a podcast calling the show Tone Deaf, specifically in response to a comment about her performance of this song. From what I found while doing research, All K-Pop is the only K-Pop website that covered the show doing this, which I thought was interesting. But something to keep in mind, both of these songs were released in 2012. Fantastic Baby was released in March and Gangnam Style was released in July. And this is speaking kind of generally, but ultimately, I think this was one of the biggest issues with Glee, and I kind of was a big fan for a while, so I feel like I have the right to say this. Yes. (laughs) But instead of cleverly writing songs into the show, during the latter half, they just started to shoehorn whatever was popular into it and hope for the best. So adding Jonathan Groff's character and naming him Jesse so that Finn could sing Jesse's girl and Tina, a Chinese character singing Gangnam Style are just on two completely different levels. Like there is no care taken in my opinion. You can excuse Jonathan Groff's character and the very obvious placement of him because ultimately it makes sense for the story, right? But this was just like, Gangnam Style is really popular now. Let's shove it into the plot for two minutes, because we can. (laughs) But yeah, let me end this segment by saying this. In 2017, the show's creator, Ryan Murphy, (laughs) what a guy, was asked about his least favorite Glee performance. Do you guys want to guess which one he chose? (laughs) (laughs) We know. (laughs) He said, and I quote, I am mortified that we did Gangsta style by Psy. I will say, not our finest moment. Unquote. Notice he got the name wrong, <laughs> which I think is a whole other level of embarrassment, but that's just me. It fits the theme. In the past few years, it's become like trendy to do retrospectives on Glee, particularly on their portrayals of sexuality and inappropriate relationships. But their minority characters were also incredibly mishandled. And I think that's something else that is definitely worth airtime. The other stuff is great. Sure, talk about it. But it is embarrassing how they treated some of the other characters simply because of their race. I'll get off my soapbox. (laughs) (laughs) It was a cringe train wreck. Correct. That is all. (laughs) So the thing that got to me 
about this was that they previously did one in the season three of, I'm forgetting the exact wording of it, but it was basically about Latin music. Mm. And they had Ricky Martin there who was, you know, in the genre. So he could, you know, bring it in. And then that was also when they called out Mr. Shu for being a terrible Spanish teacher because he didn't actually know Spanish. Yes, he wasn't even supposed to be the Spanish teacher, if I'm right, remembering yeah. correctly. So he just got shoved in there, and he was like, "I guess," and then he just stuck with it, and then he got called out, and it was great. <laughs> the thing that got me though was that they they did that, even though I remember people saying, "Oh, then I the episode's not great." Compared to this, mm-hmm. that was way better. Like the thing that got me was you couldn't have had somebody like Jay Park guest yeah. or. You know, any Korean American idol who knows English, knows Korean, can dance, do all this yada yada, work with the Glee cast, and they're just being some random excuse to have them here. It's like, oh, I was signing autographs and I I was invited to come over and I did, you know, something, you know. They could, because they've done stupider things. They have. Yeah, so they didn't, Glee was not great on logic. So I think that they could have gotten away with that. If it had been someone who was like still technically at school age who was doing it, then it's like, oh, you know, I'm going to enter the competition with you guys kind of Mm -hmm. thing. That Mm -hmm. would have been cool. Especially because if I remember correctly, Glee always had a problem with getting their numbers up for competition because it was always like a minimum and there was always people walking off right before that happened. (laughs) So like they could have done it like that. And I was just thinking. You know who also was in the area at the time? Danny M from one time. But then I realized, wait oh a minute, one gosh. time wasn't exactly known for their choreography. <laughs> like, he's talented. But if you've seen one time perform hot, then you know that they were not really, like, the mm-hmm. big choreography people. They more just... They, they had, like, played into stuff, that, though. I just It's just yeah. a lack of respect. Yeah, and knowledge. And once again, it was just like, I think it was just that the writers and Ryan saw that, oh, this is a big thing. We need to cover it because sometimes they did timely stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like they had any consultants work with them, though, to get it reasonably correct. Yeah. And reasonably something that would be an homage. Or they didn't know, well, considering the state of how Western media still covers K-pop, mm-hmm. maybe they did have someone who was just not great. Yeah. I just, overall, I just feel bad for Jenna. Like, Yes, she did not deserve that. <laughs> No, yeah, it was just so embarrassing. Not on her part, because she had a contract, she had to do it, but everyone else who was involved and allowed this to happen. (laughs) Who signed off on it, yeah. Yeah. And then to the point where it literally got aired. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the worst rated episodes, if not the worst. As it should. And they did, what does the fox say? (laughs) They've done a lot of questionable stuff. (laughs) Like, once again, you could have pulled in... The, I I instantly think of Jay Park, because he is so into K-pop, so into... 2012 might have been a yeah, weird he's time so for mainstream. him, though. That's my only it thing. It might have. But, but I'm using him as an example, though, yeah, because yeah. when I think of Korean-American who can dance well and who's well-known, I th- instantly think of him. But there are tons of idols, though, who could have gone back and forth. Also... Oh, well, the, I don't think that they would have thought about her, that there's a member of Baby Vox. I don't know. I think she's in L.A. The other thing is, though, because this episode aired in November and the song came out in, did I say July? Oh, good point. They had no time to facilitate any of this. When I say they shoehorned it in, I mean quite literally no trying. Well, they had behind the scenes where they talked about how quickly stuff went from planning to getting the actors to practice it to getting it shot. 
Mm -hmm. they've talked about it before. So that also might have been it where it's just like, we just got to run. Yep. But I feel like also like there was Boas Eat You Up that had an English version. Like there's a couple of that stuff that they could have gone with that route. Rain. They could have used rain. <gasps> they could have used multiple rain. things in America at that point. Yeah. Wait, was he doing his military service then? I don't know. Maybe. I don't remember. Maybe he was. He was in the military. Unfortunate. Yeah. But still. Just. Did you watch Glee at Min? I didn't. My sister did. So I watched a lot with her and also I burned her a CD with like all of her favorite oh. songs on it. So I I have listened to a lot of the Glee covers. Mm -hmm. Some of them are still good. Yeah, I agree. A lot of them are very The thriller good. ones still hold up. But they up. do have some really good ones. <laughs> that one, yeah. That one's one of my favorites of theirs. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, we're heading into the, the final stretch. We got a couple more. So, Min, why don't you give us your next pick? Yeah. So, if you've listened to some of our older episodes, you might remember this one because I was shocked when I found out that Shannon from Coed School slash Five Dolls is currently an active gaming streamer on Twitch. To me, that was just like, wow. <laughs> what? Why? Okay. Why? But she is thriving, so why not? And she is by no means the only former or current idol who does live streaming or even gaming live streaming. I just didn't really expect it back in 2020 <laughs> because I was used to Korean streamers basically just existing on Afrika.tv. Like, that's where the mukbang started and all of that parasocial relationship type of streaming happened. <laughs> and also the type of, like, idol live streaming that happens on, like, VLive that's purely for fans, basically, not for the streamers mm -hmm. wanting to do streams, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So seeing her on Twitch was like, oh, that's fun. But out of other idols that does streaming... Brown-Eyed Girls Media, she actually started out streaming on Afrika TV and then moved over to Twitch in about 2018 and then finally moved over to YouTube, which is where you see most like current idols streaming. A lot of that happens on either VLive, but of like streaming streaming, you have it usually on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So that was fun. She was also one of the ones that I was like kind of shocked when I figured out that she just gaming live streams <laughs> she also does like makeup and more variety stuff but i don't know <laughs> it's just fun <laughs> not who i expected <laughs> for idols who stream semi-regularly who aren't shadon or mario you also have jay of day six who streams on twitch and he started streaming in 2020 and also exos beckyan does some gaming content on his YouTube channel, though that's not the main point of his YouTube channel. And then there is Seraphim's Sakra, who has a dedicated gaming YouTube channel. She also has one for like her vlogs and stuff, but she does do gaming <laughs> and does a lot of streaming on YouTube. And I also came across a couple of idols who do not at all stream regularly, but I just find it hilarious that they have streamed on Twitch and do have sometimes done live streams on Twitch, which is Super Junior's Heechel, 
who started making live streams in 2018, and he hasn't done many in 2022, but he does them sometimes at the weirdest times, and it's very unpredictable when and why and where and how, but he does, as well as Kyuyun, also from Super Junior. He started in 2019 and also does not have a set schedule, but it happens. And I'm confused. <laughs> These dudes are not the dudes that I thought would do this. But alas, here we are. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> Twitch is weird. And since streaming has become more of a phenomenon with, you know, streaming platforms like VLive, there are also some idols who do live streams on their groups, like idol groups YouTube channel. Most likely because their company was like, you have a hobby, let's monetize it. <laughs> I'm not saying that's what's happening, but it's probably what's happening. Yeah. But at least they seem to be having fun. <laughs> like Hong Suk from Pentagon and Soyoung from G-Idol. So, K-pop streamers, you find them. <laughs> Sometimes. It's weird. I love it. <laughs> Good for them. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoy watching idols on live like streaming platforms just because a lot of times they seem a lot more chill. I'm sure some of them find it more stressful, the fact that they're unfiltered, but a lot of them you can tell that it's really freeing to just chill, read comments from fans and stuff like that. So so should we move over from the internet to television? For my final pick, I'm going to be talking about a meeting that happened on October 5th, 1996. So far, we've talked about K-pop idols being involved in non-Korean or usually non-idol events. But for this one, I'm going to talk about a foreign idol group that appeared on a Korean show with Korean idols. So for the 501st episode of Doyo Il, Doyo Il Chukowo, they had two major boy bands face off, H.O.T. and The Backstreet Boys. This was about a month after H.O.T.'s debut and several months after the Backstreet Boys had released their first full studio album, Backstreet Boys, with songs like I'll Never Break Your Heart and We've Got It Going On. The two groups showed off their skills in a fun way. They sang a cappella, danced to the Macarena, and Brian even sang Happy Birthday to Kevin in a Donald Duck voice. But my personal favorite part was when the MC suggested for Hee-Joon to do the Power Racer dance. And if you've seen the dance for H.O.T.'s Candy, you probably recognize it as the part where Hee-Joon sits with his legs stretched out in front of him as he hops up and down. If you don't know what I'm talking about, imagine a person pretending like they're driving a cartoon putt-putt car, and you'll have the idea. And this took place, though, before Candy's release which would come out about a month later, so it's kind of an unintentional spoiler. However, after Hee-Joon got up, Brian and AJ, of all people, <laughs> scrambled to do it too, and were quickly joined by their members. Like, they were <laughs> racing to get on the ground. I've never seen AJ move that fast. If you're only used to seeing the Backstreet Boys looking cool, you're gonna laugh so hard when you see it. The two groups were compared a lot by Korean media when H.O.T. first debuted, so it's kind of cool that they actually got to meet and interact with each other. Yeah, I'm a big Backstreet Boys fan. Same. <laughs> I love the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> so this is one of the older, like, big things in K-pop that have happened, and that means I found out about it a lot later. So you actually told me about this clip a couple years back, and 
I just, I love the interaction so much. It's just so wholesome and fun to see these two worlds colliding. So dopamine, serotonin, whichever the happy chemical is. So much of that. <laughs> yeah, especially because they were compared so often, it's like, oh, look, they both have yada yada. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking, though, about how the year that Millennium came out, which I believe was in 2000, which would make sense, was the same year H.O.T. released Outside Castle. And just how oh. different the trajectories of the groups became. Yeah. And they were just mm -hmm. like, if you just sum up pop as being like, oh, everyone's alike. Those are two groups that are like a really good example of, well, they may start somewhere at the beginning, but what they grow to be could be very different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But side note, Millennium, great album. <laughs> yeah. Very good album. Min, do you have words? I wasn't super into Backstreet Boys because my sister was into them and Britney Spears as a teen. So it wasn't my thing. Is she older than you? Oh. Yes. Okay. She is. Gotcha. We moved from the capital into nowhere, so when we still lived in the capital, she, I think she did dance classes and at least learned one Backstreet Boys choreography, mm -hmm. like, completely. So, yeah. I've heard their most famous songs, yes. Did I actively listen to them or follow them? No. <laughs> no, I did not. That's fair. That's fair. I was one of those people who was into Backstreet Boys and seeing Britney Spears, like, I was into all of that in one go. And so it was my family, so it's like, we're all listening to it. <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah, my sister got a lot of sh for liking that kind of music, because parents are more into alternative music. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Still love a lot of Britney songs, though. She, definitely queen. Mm. Big queen. My family's a mix. Like, I remember growing up listening to Beach Boys and, like, Leanne Rhymes and, like, some older mm. stuff randomly. But then, like, I got into lady gaga when i was in college and then a couple years later i found that my dad had telephone that was one of the things that i think he bought from itunes he was like oh yeah oh i love gosh. it it's my ringtone for certain people i don't like who just <laughs> keep calling me it's just so funny how music just appears places especially when like we're closer i think to being into pop stuff but it's always fun when you find family members or friends who you're not who are not so into it being into it like i think i told you guys this i think i was in germany already when gangnam style came out but mm. like people knew i liked k-pop but nobody else i knew outside like my friends were into it and then when i came back people were like oh yes yeah, so we know about who sai is i'm like how do you of all the wait how and then that's when i heard about how big it gotten in the u.s much more cultural shock coming back to the u.s after that than actually being in germany mm. <laughs> But I think the most important takeaway from this whole episode, in fact, is that the Backstreet Boys knew about K-pop before most of the world did. And that's what I want to leave you with. <laughs> As always, there are always more instances than we have time to include in a single episode. We just included ones that we immediately wanted to share because we can't shut up about them. But maybe in a distant future, we'll do a follow-up episode and talk about more surprising times K-pop idols have appeared or the reverse. But that's it for today. JR, take it away. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, then please make sure to rate, subscribe, follow, and tell your friends about us. If you want to interact with us or just see more of our content, then you can follow us on Twitter at KpopSunbays or on our other social media platforms, which will be in the description. Also, don't forget that our next episode comes out on November 6th, 2022. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Annyeong.